Um, I don't know if, I, I know some of you, it's your first time here today, but um, we've been talking through the book of Hebrews all summer long, and uh, I've said this every week, but I, I think it is worth saying every week. Oh, thanks, Dan. Huh. No, that, the stand was fine. We've been saying every week, but I think it's worth saying every week that the whole point of Hebrews, and Hebrews makes this huge case, that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than our hopes and dreams. Jesus is better than our own plans. Jesus is better than a solution we come up for, with for ourselves. And as a matter of fact, in the book of Hebrews, you remember it was written to Jewish believers who were torn, maybe, about going back to an old faith system, going back to an old religious system after knowing Christ. And so the author of Hebrews writes repeatedly, and he challenges the, the you know, recipients to understand that Jesus is better than prophets, that Jesus is better than angels, that Jesus is, is better than um, the fathers of our faith. And it just goes on and on through right? Moses and Aaron and Abraham last week, like, you know, Melchizedek. I mean, this idea that Jesus is this overarching authority over everything. And it's really funny that a culture like ours would even um, get some understanding from the book of Hebrews. And yet, I think we have that same problem that the people who are receiving the letter have, which we have a tendency to think, well, something else is better than Jesus. Just this week, I was talking to somebody about um, the blessings of God and about how awesome it is to maybe um, be able to read Scripture and understand what it says, or maybe be able to pray and have your prayers answered, or um, maybe be able to uh, get a promotion at work or get laid off and, and then find that God sustains you through the storm, uh, whatever it is, and we get excited about that. But there's a danger, and it's this. We can get more excited about the stuff that comes with a relationship with Jesus than we are with Jesus himself. Like everything that the Bible talks about is a side effect of a relationship with the Savior, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so the author of Hebrews writes to the church, and we're part of that church where we're called to remind, remember that Jesus is truly, truly better. That's actually why we do things like with dedication, where we dedicate him uh, in Jesus' name, because his plans are better than ours. Last week we talked about this idea. We were just finishing up chapter 7 of Hebrews last week, and uh, we talked about this idea that um, Jesus uh, is a, a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. We talked about that um, through the power of an indestructible life. Like, and, and we talked about what that means to have an indestructible life and, and how that testifies to the glory of God that, that even death cannot stop the gospel. The hardships and things that, that we, we face are nothing compared to the power of the gospel and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so we talked about the power that we have in Jesus' name. And I'm not going to re-preach it, but I just want to start there again with the power that we have in Jesus' name for an indestructible life. And the Apostle Paul, you remember, testified to the same thing, right? Um, I'm crushed but not destroyed, there's a spirit that wells up in us that lets us to stand and in the end stand. And that's the power of the gospel in our lives. And it's not a willful decision. It's not I'm going to muster the strength. It's the power of God moving through us that causes us to endure and sustain through very, very difficult trials and tribulations. So that's the reality of, of and, and more important, I would say, is that we have a king, a, a, a priest, a high priest, uh, who is indestructible. That's the very core of who he is. 
And so because of that, we bind things in his name and we pray in his name and we seek him, his Holy Spirit, because he is the one that will sustain us when everything else comes apart. And I don't know where you are in your faith today. Maybe you don't believe that. Maybe you believe that life is a mess and there's nothing that's a sure hope. My prayer is that today that you would believe the gospel, that Jesus is a sure hope when everything else is coming apart. So we're going to do what we always do when we get in the scripture. We're going to pray um, as we, that God would reveal something to each of us today, that everyone gathered here, whatever reason you came, that God would reveal a truth to us that we need to know and that we would be able to live it out by his grace this week. So pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much, and we do come before you just like we brought Titus, um, fully surrendering ourselves to you in this time. We pray, Lord, that you would have your way with us. Uh, We know that this week has been full of ups and downs, successes and failures, and yet we know the constant truth is that your son loves us and is saving us and redeeming us by his blood. I pray, Father God, that today that your holy word would be open to us, that we could understand it rightly with our, our uh, broken minds, that we could, we could truly understand it by the gift of your Holy Spirit, that we would be able to um, live out the truths we find there, and that it would transform our lives in this earth. May we be prepared for the invitation to your kingdom. May we be prepared to worship with you for all eternity. Uh, for what you're going to do today, I give you thanks and praise because you're always faithful always faithful to your people. And we we give you praise and glory for this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we're going to, if you want to turn in in one of our Bibles, I think it's 841 is the page number. We're going to start with where we left off last week, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26. And we're going to be talking about um, this this role of Jesus as high priest. Now, this is going to extend on in like to chapter 10. I mean, it's going to be this whole theme, the kind of the the crescendo almost of, of Hebrews. Um, and there's a lot of deep stuff we've been talking about in here that we can dig through. Um, and so just we're going to walk through the text together and see what the word has for us today. So 26, this is what the word says. Um, Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens, Unlike other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed their sins once for all when he offered himself. I'm going to stop there. So this becomes like the core idea for today. Jesus is a priest unlike any other because he offered himself. And honestly, when I was kind of trying to come up with the, the, the idea of this next section, I, the word came to me. I ended up putting on your sheets. If you grab an engagement sheet, it should say um, Jesus offered himself. But there was even a more profound reality that perfection was sacrificed or perfection sacrificed, made a willful decision to give himself. And, and that's the, the whole thing. Um, you'll notice that this section of Scripture starts with this idea, uh, two ideas, one of who Jesus is, Right, And then secondly, and I don't want you to miss this when we get into the text, that we as human beings have a need for a priest. A few weeks ago we talked about that, we need a priest. Like, that's what the Bible does say, we do need a priest. Right? The discussion becomes, what priest do we need? And the scriptures answer, it's Jesus, the great high priest, is the one that we need. Um, it says it right there, if you look at it, it says, 
uh, and 26, such a high priest meets our need. I don't know if you understand that we have some needs in our life. And many of you might be thinking, well, yeah, I know I need clothes or I need a job or I need, you know, something to do with my life or something like that. But there's bigger needs that all humanity has and that, that compels us to preach the gospel. Here's a clue what they are, right? We have a need of holiness, we have a need of holiness, and, and the idea of holiness is like this idea of righteousness, of, of um, godliness, right? That's a, a need that we have in our lives that we don't have because we're, we're sinful people. We are not holy, and so we have a need for holiness in our lives. And many of us, you might feel that compulsion to be holy. You know, the scripture says, be holy as I am holy, right? That, that you just feel, oh, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just not like God. I, I don't feel like God him. I don't feel like I'm holy. That's a real need that we have. All humanity, by the way, so this is beyond us, beyond church folks, beyond religious folks. Like, everyone has a need for holiness, right? And then the second thing is, is what? The second point, blameless, with, without flaw, without error. We talked this morning from the scriptures about offering the firstborn male. If you actually go back and read Exodus 13, it says that um, Firstborn male of humans and animals, right? Because your, 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 your sacrifice is supposed to be um, holy and um, uh, flawless. Without defect is the way the word says it. And, and so we have a need to be um, without defect, perfect. That's a real need. And we can't meet that need, right? Um, let's see what else. Pure, right? Pure, purity. We have a need to be pure, but we're not. We're defiled. Oh, my goodness. Look, we, ha- we have a need for a priest. We have a need to be set apart from sinners. <laughs> Isn't that funny, right? Um, it's so funny to me because sometimes, like in church world, we, there are places, and historically they change, but there are places we won't go because, you know, good Christians don't go there, right? And so have you ever had that struggle in your life about, well, how much should I be apart from sinners? Have, no, have nothing to do with them, the scripture says. Flee, right? Don't, don't, good, uh, what does it say? Um, bad company corrupts good character, you know? I mean, just, just get away from that stuff, right? Do you struggle with that at all? And yet, no, no matter how sad you think your life has become toward the Lord and toward purity and away from sinners, the truth is that you and I are still sinners. <laughs> it's, it's just a gradient, isn't it? And, and we might feel that need to withdraw or need to engage, but the truth is that we need a, a separateness from sinners that we can't attain of ourselves. That's what this whole thing about the law being weak is about. It can't bring righteousness. It can't bring peace. And so we have this need to be separated, set apart from sinners. Put put on a my word picture for this is always this. Um, It's this being placed on a different shelf, but you can't move yourself to that shelf. You can't do that. You can't clamor the wall. You need someone to move you. And then exalted above the heavens. And this is this kind of elevation of our, who we are. I mean, this eternal call that we have in our lives. Um, someone said, and I don't know where I heard this, but I just heard this, that um, someone said that God has placed eternity in our hearts. It was some of my studying this week, you know, that, that there's some longing. I mean, even the most hardened, uh, you know, um, angry or, or bitter or... Um, 
you know, self, you know, aggrandizing human being senses there's something bigger. They all, everyone senses it. And here, the scriptures say we have a need, um, what does it say exactly? To be exalted above the heavens. That there's something more in this life that we were born into than what we currently know or see. And so these are five real needs that we have. But then the cool thing about it is it says, such a priest, what, meets our need. That he is these things. He is holy and blameless and pure and set apart from sinners. By the way, one of the biggest struggles I have with Jesus is how does the holy God become flesh and then not just become flesh, but hang out with corruptible people all the time. I mean, he didn't, he didn't pull himself away from those areas where the, the cast, you know, people were cast out. He would go into those places with those people. That's amazing to me. I, I said, how, how, did he, how did he do that? How does he walk among sinners as a holy God? How does he weep for us instead of condemning us? How does he invite us in instead of shoving us away? the mystery of Christ. But this great high priest meets our need. And these are all real needs that we have. Look at, unlike other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day. Here it is, first for his own sins. Why? Because he's sinless. And then for the sins of the people. But he sacrificed for their sins. You see, not his sins, their sins, once and for all when he offered himself. This is the great priestly role. Now, there's a little bit of, of history here, and you, some of you probably know the history better than I do, but there was this idea that you would take an offering to the temple and have it sacrificed for sin. And there were several kinds of offerings, and we're not going to get into all those things, but you were, there's this constant, repetitive, you must sacrifice, you must do it again, you must remember you're unclean, you must sacrifice again. And the author of Hebrews makes this radical claim that in the Messiah and in his offering to the Father, he offered once for all so that their sins, I'll be our sins, might be forgiven. He did that work. And that's the great priesthood that he inherits he sacrificed once for their sins, once for all, the sins of the people, and offered himself. There's so many uh, scriptural uh, illusions to this idea, you know. We were talking recently um, in the men's Bible study about Abraham and Isaac and how he was going to offer his son on the, on the altar to the Lord. But there's a real powerful uh, picture here of a priest who walks into the temple, walk, go with me here, goes into the temple with no sacrifice but himself. And that's the work of Jesus. That's what he did for us. He walked in empty-handed to offer his own blood that we might be free. We might be forgiven. 28. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but on, on the oath, which came after the law, appointed the Son, this God's spoken word appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. So we kind of have a choice here, right? You can choose a weak law or the perfect Son. That's the contrast there. This weak law appointed, you have to continue the rituals and try and work harder, or the Son who is perfected forever in the sacrifice. 
Now, as if to help us out a little bit, the author says this. Here's my point in verse 1. We do have such a high priest. We do have such a high priest. And that idea this morning, I hope, um, grips your heart a little bit, that Jesus is that person for those of us who are believing in the Messiah. We have that kind of high priest who has entered in under his own blood, who has made perfect and therefore perfect for us, and all these things are fulfilled on our behalf. Um, that's the point of what the author is writing. Here's some things, though, about him, right? Our high priest did what? He sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven. So the first thing is that he's, 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 he's in heaven and he, he's resting, I mean, right? Resting. Setting at the right hand, the, the, the um, seat of honor, um, for the people of God. And, though, who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. So there's two things here. The first, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, but the second is that he's serving. The word actually reads ministering in the true tabernacle. We're going to talk about that as we, as we walk through here a little bit, Okay. Verse 3, every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already men who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. So there's no role there for him. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern that you're shown on the mountain. But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one. And it is founded on better promises. And that's the section of scripture you can read through and you go like, I got lost in all that, right? But I want you to go back now and talk about this idea that um, Jesus is serving in the true tabernacle. See it in verse 2. Who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord. I don't know if you've ever walked into a, a religious site or um, a sanctuary, an ornate sanctuary. Maybe you've even got at the tabernacle. By the way, something I want to share with you also this morning is this. This tabernacle idea is actually um, the idea of a tent. It's, and in a minute we're going to hear this. Pit, it's pitched by the Lord. It's kind of a funny analogy. But um, we think of it as permanence, don't we? We think of, look at the temple in Jerusalem, or look at how permanent these stones are. Wow, how could they have built this place, right? But it's but a tent. It, it's, it's, um, it's a passing away. And as opposed to the copy, the, the, the one that stands under and kind of tries to model the heavenly tabernacle, the truth is that Jesus has entered the true tabernacle, the real one. Maybe you're not as bent up about that as I am, but I'm pretty bent up about it because I've walked into some spaces that, that have been made here as types, and they're pretty amazing. I can't, I can't even begin to imagine the, ta the tabernacle with, in which Jesus is serving right now, ministering right now, right? It, it, I mean, I can't even imagine it, what it must be. More real than real, more beautiful than beautiful, um, bigger than you, you or I could imagine, holier than we could imagine, um, in every way. 
All these things do have meaning, but they're just pointing toward the real thing, pointing toward the real temple. And that's what um, it says. It says that what we have on earth is but a copy. Now, that's interesting, right? A copy um, or a shadow. <laughs> that's a funny idea, isn't it? I mean, I thought, wow, that's like a shadow. And that's what it means, like the shade. It means that the holiest place, and some people, you know, like the Temple Mount, people say, oh, that's the holiest place on earth. But that pl- if, if, if indeed it is, that place is just but a shade under the tree of the reality of the, 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 um, the real temple. Do you get me? I mean, you know how you get shade is like you cast light and then it, it just kind of, you got what's left. I mean, you're not even in the full glory, the full sun. So when the author of Hebrews says to the Jewish believers, you, you think the temple is holy, that was just a type of the real thing where Jesus is serving right now on our behalf. Entering in the holy of holies, a few weeks ago, you remember the word said, being our anchor that was... Um, placed in the temple for us, that entered in behind the veil on our behalf. Jesus' work, our great and holy high priest. Um, so there you have it. So um, Jesus is this serving in this uh, perfect sanctuary, this real sanctuary. Um, and the ones we have are, are just copies and shadows, and they're, they're, they, they don't really have any value of themselves. This is why Moses was warned oh, to be specific. Here we go. Verse 6. Pick it up again. But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs, right, as the covenant, the promise of which he is a mediator or a guarantor is superior to the old one, which is because it's founded on better promises. So he's saying, just like Jesus' promises are better, the temple is better. The, the place Jesus is serving currently is better. So he's seated at the right hand, and he's serving in the temple on our behalf, the true tabernacle. Verse 7, Because if there had been nothing wrong with the first promise from God, no place would have been sought for another promise. But God found fault with the people and said, and here we go. This is from the book of Jeremiah, by the way. Jeremiah the prophet, he's my favorite prophet, um, just because, I don't know why, it's like God gave me this thing about Jeremiah. But um, So here's this reality uh, from a prophecy from the prophet Jeremiah. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant or a new promise with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. Again, I want to say this. I I found this was kind of mysterious. I don't know what image you get of what actually happened in the desert with the Israelites when they were disobedient, you know, but... he said, I'm going to deliver you. And I get this image, and I love that we did this dedication because I get this image of a parent a parent, and you're out with your kids, and you're walking, and your kids have just wandered off. They're not even watching where you're going anymore. And because and, it says, I led them by the hand. This is not that kind of a promise where I'm going to lead them by the hand. So you, he kind of goes over, and he takes them, and he leads them then, you know, stay with me. I mean, have you ever had that moment in your life? Like, and, and honestly, if I think about that picture, that word picture for God saving us, to grab us by the hand and say, hey, stay with me and walk, that feels pretty secure for me. You know what I'm saying? If I'm a three-year-old toddler and my dad grabs my hand, 
I'm pretty comfortable where I'm going at that point, right? That's a pretty good model. And he says, this new promise ain't, ain't going to be like that because they were disobedient, and I took them by the hand, and I let them, I let them um, what does it say? Out of Egypt, out of slavery, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And then, this is a hard word, I turned away from them. And we, we know that story, how, how God was angry with his people. Verse 10, though, check this out. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after that time. So there's a season, right? Declares the Lord, Yahweh, creator God. I, man, this is so radical. I will put my law in their minds, and I will write my law on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. I'll just finish it here. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. I want to walk through that just for a second to talk about. I told you, man, what could be better, you know, again, if, if you're a toddler and you're lost, then a dad come over and saying, hey, what are you doing? You know, and then leading you by the hand where you need to go. I'm, I'm thinking that's a pretty awesome model. And here, God says, no, this new promise I'm going to make, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write my law in your minds, right? I'm gonna, I mean, I'm going to put my law in your minds. I'm going to place it in your minds. I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to write it in your heart. And, and, I, and all of a sudden, I started to realize this new promise that we have in Jesus is not like a law that you grow up and you memorize and you wrote. You know, you go, well, here's the commandments, and here's the rules, and here's how to be holy, and here, 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 here. And this kind of ties in with this whole idea of how we're saved in Jesus. And I know in a crowd this size, we've probably got a lot of opinions about how Jesus saves us and how he saved us. But man, the truth is that there's something in the gospel of the Messiah, in the one who would come and would enter the tabernacle on our behalf, where he enters in, and then he enters in. I mean, to put a really fine point on it, I would say that it's a more intimate relationship. It's even more about being closer to his people. You know, you think, well, how in the world is that possible? But the word says that when you know Jesus is Savior, the Spirit of God is dwelling in you and in me. And we talk about this all the time at Family Bible Church. But all of a sudden, it's not about being whitewashed tombs. It's not about being externalizing your faith and wearing the right clothes and saying the right things. It's about believing and knowing God in such a way that he begins to change the wellspring in your heart. <laughs> you know? Like, I've talked to some brothers and sisters who have problems with stuff like cussing maybe. There's a problem with cussing or a problem with pornography or a problem with, you know, um, whatever it is. Like, whatever the vice is that you think is the worst vice, they have a problem with that. But I think that for God, the problem is a heart issue. And, and his redemption isn't about act right, sit up straight, pretend you're okay when you're not. No, Jesus spoke against all those things. His idea is that I'm going to move in my people in a way that I'm going to get inside them. I'm going to put my law in their minds. I'm going to write it on their heart. And then, all of a sudden, we begin to live out of a relationship with Jesus. We're not trying to put it on, you know, put it on from the outside in. We're living out our faith. Then all of a sudden, we're sanctified and redeemed in spite of ourselves. 
We don't resist God on purpose. But man, when we get it right, when we do feel like we're holy, it's only because we're going along with Jesus and what he started in us. It's not because we've decided. It's not because we've worked really hard. I'm going to be holy. No, it's like I'm just obeying the spirit of God in me. And there's freedom, and there's joy, and there's passion, and there's love. And it's not like what we have experienced in most of our lives. One of the signs for me and from other brothers and sisters I've talked to is that you can tell us God when it's something you would never think to do of yourselves. It's so not like you <laughs> to do it, you know? This isn't like me. Hmm. Then you find that you're being obedient to the Spirit of God dwelling in you. The Word says this, of the new promise that I'll make with Israel and Israel and um, the people of God, I want to be inclusive in that, that it's the people of God that are being redeemed I will put my law in their mind, and I will write my law on their hearts, and I will be their God. Man, look at that. He will be our God, and we will be his people. Like, for real, in that relationship, together, no longer will a man teach his neighbor. This is pretty cool, saying, know the Lord, right? Because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. And this is one of those, like, hard texts. Because I go, well, hey, man, if that's what it says, no longer will neighbors say, know the Lord, then why are we preaching the gospel? Why should you do a Bible study? Why should you encourage one another on, right? But it's the, the know here is like a, it's called, it's gnosko in the Greek, right? And it, it means to know, like, because why? Because you already know. You, you already know God is real. You already know. You don't have to be told, right? And this is the struggle that we have, actually, um, because for some of, of our fellow um, uh, people on this earth, they don't know. You are talking a different language. I am. And God, God has not saved them. Not yet. No longer will a man teach his neighbor, saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me. And that's a different kind of know, Right? They will all know him from the least. Look at the promise, from the least to the greatest. Man, all of a sudden you go, what? High priests, humanity, holy temples, right? No, Jesus, he's our high priest. He's in the temple. We have promises in his name. Oh, you mean only certain special people get revelation from God? No. <laughs> no. From the least to the greatest, they will know me. I will be in them. I will be dwelling in them. What, what an astounding promise. And I hope maybe, you know, that's your thing today. Maybe you claim that, Lord, I, I feel like I'm the least. But your word says that you will, I will know you. I'm the least, but I will know you. So, so help me know you. Or maybe you think, man, I'm, I'm, I'm so much better than everyone else. I know so much more. It's a gift of God that we know him at all. And then 12. Why? Why will we have this kind of relationship with God? Because I will forgive their iniquity, their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. I, I, I want to spend just a second on talking about how, you know, God uh, forgives our sins, right? Um, I heard someone recently say it was a great uh, point. They said, sometimes we need to forgive ourselves of the sins that God has already forgiven us for. Does that make sense? Like sometimes you can come to know Jesus in his holiness 
And, and then you can receive grace and forgiveness. You can confess your sins. You can repent of your behavior. And yet you can let the devil play around in your mind and, and bind you to the things that you have been forgiven for. And what the image I have in my mind is that some, you know, we're God's children and we continue to punish ourselves for something that Jesus has died to forgive. Well, I know, I know you, Lord, but I'm just going to bear it a little bit longer. I, I, I'm going to pay a little bit more of a price for that. And it's like, no, it's forgiven in Christ. This idea that he chooses to remember our sins no more is exactly that. Some of our friends here at Family Bible have been talking about this idea of, do you forgive and forget, right? Forgetting is an active thing. Matter of fact, if someone tells you to forget something, you probably can't forget it, right? Just forget I ever said that. Well, that's going to be in the bank forever. <laughs> he said that, <laughs> you know. Forget I mentioned it. Well, I can't forget that, right? But how about if you choose to not remember? That's what the word says. God chooses not to call it up. He chooses not to bring it to mind. It's different. It's a little different. Little, little. Uh, um, remember our sins no more. He's just not going to bring them to mind. That's that's where we get the promise of the new covenant, the new hope we have in Jesus Christ. We are forgiven of our wickedness, and our sins are not remembered. And maybe today that's you. Maybe today you 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 know Jesus died to forgive your sins, and you believe that. But there's some part of your past you're hanging on to, and 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 I'm not saying that over you. I'm not saying that. But if, if you're hearing that from the Lord today, maybe it's time to let that go. To believe what the word says, that in Christ all things are made new. That this is a new promise and a new hope and you've been forgiven for your, of your sins. To live in freedom and obedience in Jesus. To have a renewed mind and a renewed heart and a renewed life. I'll say something else. Maybe, maybe you come out of a religious structure that requires a lot of religion, you know. Man, if, that, if that's being placed above Jesus, you need to stop. Because religion never brought about righteousness the law never brought about righteousness or peace, but Jesus brings both. Verse 13, we'll close with this. By calling this new covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear or fade away. This, um, I, I love that the, the, it, it doesn't call the first testament the old or the first covenant, the old covenant, it calls it the first covenant, right? Uh, the author says here, the new covenant, though, um, supersedes the first covenant. Um, and like, I love the image, <laughs> like an old pair of shoes that are just wore out, like an old blanket that's full of holes, you know, like an old pair of jeans that don't cover you anymore, that law has just got no purpose because you got brand new clothes in Jesus, brand new brand new promise in his name. Um, I don't know where you are today and you're, and you're following after Jesus. I don't know if you believe what, what I believe. I, I don't know wh where you are, but I know that God does. And so today I'm going to ask you to pray with me. And um, I'm going to ask two things. I'm going to ask that you pray with me that God will reveal the areas of your heart that you need to surrender to him more fully, whatever that is. We can pray that together. I can pray that myself as well. I, I'm going to ask that if you're a believer and you're here today, and you know Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, I'm going to ask that you would join us when we pray and praying for those who are here today who aren't believing yet. Pray, pray that God would have mercy, that he would have a spirit and dwell, and that the, the, the people uh, who are here who may not know him would respond and would receive the good news of Jesus Christ today, would stop fighting God, 
And man, if that's you, and you've been kicking and screaming and fighting, and you've had a lot of hurt in the church, first of all, I'm sorry. And secondly, I would say, like, just stop fighting God, because the redemption is worth it. The, the forgiveness is worth it to trust Jesus with everything. Pray with me as we join together. Father God, we just thank you so much for your word and for the truth of who Jesus is in our life. I thank you for the, the grand nature of the scriptures today and what we hear about this Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, Father, forgive us for the times that we've pretended that Jesus is less than he is, that um, just a, a, um, a, a good guy, just a teacher, just a buddy, a pal. Um, oh, Lord, would you forgive us for the times that we've, we've thought, is Jesus is all about making me happy, uh, bringing my dreams true. I mean, would you forgive us for those things? Because they are not of you and not of your spirit. This is your son, oh, your holy son, that gave himself that we could be free. I pray that today we would have eyes to see our king who worships, who serves in the temple on our behalf. Um, I do pray, Father, for those of us who know you, and yet there are parts of our heart that we have sectioned off, or maybe we're trying to deal with on our own. We're, we're going to take care of that stuff. We're going to trust Jesus with our salvation, but not our life, or, or you know, our salvation, but not our future, or, or our salvation, but not our present. Um, Father, would you just uh, tear down those boundaries in our hearts um, and invade all of our lives, all of our heart? Would you help us to trust you with the most intimate things, the things that we're maybe most afraid of, that we could fully surrender to you in that way? And then, Father, with brothers and sisters, uh, remembering the joy of salvation today, for those who don't, who have been fighting and resisting and uh, negotiating, that today that would cease and they would come to faith. And I don't want this to be a show, Father. I want this to be about what you're doing in their life. So if you so move in someone's heart, uh, I'm just joining the saints in praying that that would happen today for your glory and for the good of your kingdom and your people. And we'd be blessed in that way together. Thank you so much for the time of worship and the time in your word. I pray you be glorified as we respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen.